Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman here with Jennifer White. Hey, Jen, I am here. Um, this is a great episode, but um, unrelated to the episode, do you have any good recent kid stories? Uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, <laughs> mine isn't little and like cute in the traditional cute like way anymore. I mean, they're they're cute because they're my kid, and you know that's just the way it is, and it's always yeah. going to be that way. But uh, yeah, the school right now they have a memoir uh, project. And it's been really fun for me because I guess with the memoir, they, the slice of their life they've chosen to write about is the day of my 40th birthday party oh, from their there. perspective. In you England? were there. Was... Yes. Yeah. It was a, it was a huge party and yeah. it was a really fun day. And I, I just they, think it's fascinating. What stood out to them about your birthday party or your birthday? Well, I haven't been allowed to read it yet. So oh, <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm curious. Oh. I know. But what's been fun is like all the questions that they keep asking and that they want to go back and look at the photos of the day. And oh. like, so then I have been able to be like, and then like, then they go back to the photos. I'm like, and here's when your aunt Ellen arrived and with, with your Maybe cousin. I'll, am I in this? Oh, I can't. I can't wait. I don't know if you are or not, but it's a, so it's been a fun walk back to that one specific day. What about you? Um, Cute kid story. So that perfectly segues because speaking of being in your children's stories um, or wanting to be, uh, this morning I went to kindergarten writing celebration where the kindergartners shared the books they've been working on. It's little books. They were supposed to be about a moment in time for them or a moment in their lives. And um, my five-year-old had two very adorable books. One of them was her drawing and coloring with her brother. So I was very, very impressed that she likes one of her siblings, at least one. So that was good. <laughs> and the second one was going to Target, of course. Um, but I often will skip the Target run and I'll just be home afterwards and helping put stuff away. And the last page was like, then we get home and mommy teases me. And I was like, what? What? Uh, and apparently it stood out to her that frequently, I guess at least more than once, she's come back from Target and she would have gotten like a new cute Target five-year-old dress. And I'll be like, oh, what a beautiful dress you bought me. And I'll like be pretending to put it on or something. So um, I did not realize I did that <laughs> enough that it stood out in her mind of me teasing her about her um, Target dresses, purchases. Right. I, You know, you don't know what sticks out in people's heads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm so funny. So. so yeah, so that's totally unrelated to anything. We usually like to have a good segue, but we, we didn't have one today because this episode stands on its own as awesome all by itself. Welcome to the podcast. Wait for it. We have three guests today. Okay, here we go. We have Maya Grobel, Gina Davis, and Jen Vespit of Empower, and they'll tell you all about what that is. Um, who should we start with? Let's go, Maya. Do you want to tell a little bit about what Empower is and tell your story of leading you to um, where we are today? Yes. Thank you for having us, ladies. Um my start, well, I can start with what is Empower. 
And well, I don't know if I should start with what is in power or who the heck am I? <laughs> it's so right? hard to choose. How about like it's a one so sense of empower and then we'll go back okay. as to who you are? I mean, we okay. do like My... to like backtrack and point out though that like you've actually been on our podcast before too. So <gasps> yes. Wait, go number back one, stop, stop. Let's go back to that. You. Okay, everyone, okay. stop, stop this episode if you haven't already listened to Maya Robel's earlier episode with us because she is a repeat guest and had an awesome episode where she talked about the fact that she's a superstar and is in a Netflix documentary that she produced, created. I don't know all your your credentials mm. for it, but um, they were all very impressive and it is an incredible thing to watch. Thank you. Yes, that was for One More Shot, which is um, now on Vimeo on demand. If I'm going to just you know plug the movie here. We're just going to yeah. take this in a whole different direction, yes. ladies, aren't <laughs> we? Um, and yeah, we spoke probably somewhere around 20, 20, 2019 or something like Should that. Should I just say how we met? Was I like attacked you at a premiere of your movie? Is did that, you? It was totally natural. Yes, I don't remember totally being did. attacked, but <laughs> I do I do appreciate all attackers. Was, and... uh, I forget what was the American Fertility Expo. Oh, yeah. And, had a showing yeah. and you were there and I was like, hey. And you were like one of the four people in the audience that day. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you for showing up. But yeah, I, I documented my journey to parenthood, uh, the infamous journey to parenthood so many of us go on um, for this for this film, One More Shot. Um, and we I, I did it with my husband. And spoiler, spoiler alert, it ends with my child being born and she is born mm. through embryo donation. So maybe that's a good segue into just how I, I, I got here. I mean, we, I, we, my husband and I, um, went through many years of fertility treatments and we kind of did everything reproductive medicine had to offer, including egg donation. My sister is an egg donor and we did IVF and IUI and all that good stuff. And the end result was, uh, embryo donation. And that was not something I knew much about. You know, it's like, we all have our plan, you know, those of us, I shouldn't say we all type a ladies like myself sometimes have a plan a plan b plan c chart of what's happening with our fertility journey and when i say that embryo donation wasn't even on the chart i'm really not exaggerating i didn't know much about it i didn't know what it meant what it would mean for us as parents or my child or any of this stuff um but the that's where the the path led us and after the movie came out it was really interesting because we were getting emails from all over the the country. Like you say, it, it, it came out on Netflix. Um, it's not there anymore, but it, it was out on Netflix. And so it aired in all these different countries. And we were getting emails from people saying, you know, we have remaining embryos if you'd like to have them and sending pictures of their children. And, of the, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Like what? It was and so amazing. you have 40 children? Now I have 72 children and I live in a shoe. <laughs> Um, but it was just this feeling of connection in a way and realizing, I had this kind of aha moment where I realized, you know, I'd just given birth and all that fun stuff. And I just realized though that people were, felt connected to us and people were willing to share a piece, a very important piece of themselves and their families with us. Now we didn't take anybody up on their offer. Um, we did see some very cute cute kids along the way, but we were, you know, pretty, pretty fixated on the the one that we had and um, who's now a seven-year-old. But it made me start thinking about embryo donation 
as a whole. And the fact that I wasn't very educated, I didn't know what my choices are. I didn't know what, how to kind of talk about it. And so I, I learned along the way. Um, but, I, you know, I'll let Jen and Gina share their stories, very different from mine. Um, but when I met Jen and Gina, I, we kind of had this, I think I can speak for everybody, um, just amazing sense of sisterhood and connection, even though we're very different people, mm. we're very, we have very different stories. Um, and obviously I, they're both donors and I'm on the other side of it as a recipient, yeah. but all of our feelings were that we didn't have a community. We didn't have a sense of that. We knew that much going into it. Aside from Gina, Gina is a genetic counselor, so she did know, but I think it's the emotional elements and that whole territory that's really new. And so we got together and really started talking about what needed to change in the embryo donation landscape. What did, what did we wish we had, you know, at the time and what can we provide for people now? Um, so that was the birth of Empower and yeah. full and name. probably worth noting your professional background in mental yeah. health, right? Oh yeah, that's true. So I'm a, yeah, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So I'm a psychotherapist and I work primarily with fertility patients and people who are building their families in alternative ways. And I, you know, talk to people every day about embryo disposition or, um, gamete donation and third-party reproduction. And, you know, so it's the work, but that, but my, that, my, my work shifted after I gave birth. Um, I was a therapist for, you know, a time before that, but it, it shifted to this space and has evolved to really be focused on embryo donation and, and whatnot. And so, you know, the three of us created Empower initially, and I, I think foundationally as an education um, organization and company that wants to provide education and support for anybody exploring embryo donation um, or any disposition options. We, we don't feel that embryo donation is for necessarily for everyone. We don't push it in any way, you know, it's just more that being able to understand that it is a choice for people on both sides as a donor or recipient and what are the choices within. And um, so we, we created that and, and now we're just launching Empower with Moxie, which are some additional services and supports that includes, you know, a way for donors and recipients to match and connect because that was another issue that was hard, you know, to, to kind of figure out. Um, but I'll let Jen and Gina talk more about that, that piece. Did I say enough? Do you want me to just keep talking forever? <laughs> forever. No, um, let, no, let's give someone else a chance. Yes, give idea. somebody else a chance. I'm passing the baton. Um, Jen, do you want to go next? Sure, I can go. Um, so when Maya said she was a, a type A lady, I took a little note I, I, and she mentioned our personalities are much different. Um, what happened to me is I'm a type B lady that ended up with male factor infertility um, being diagnosed in. Um, Wait, what's a type B? I, I hear type A all the time, but I never hear type B. Oh, I think mean? we kind of go with <laughs> not type A. Uh, <laughs> yes, we go with the flow. We don't do a lot of research. We just kind of take what comes our way. And um, there's not I as many know. complaints about type B people. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Is there C or are you just A or B? Is there other options? I'm sure I'm sure you can be A, B or B, A. It's like blood, blood types. Yes, it's, yes. And there might even be an O in there somewhere. I'm not sure. Uh, um, so, so, um, you know, just quickly, my background um, after being diagnosed with male factor infertility um, in 
around 2010, um, I went through a first round of IVF where we did ICSI. We ended up with uh, two viable embryos that were transferred. I got pregnant with one and then I had a miscarriage. Um, that's very difficult. A lot of us have been through that, um, but we decided to give IVF at least one more try. And that IVF cycle ended up with three viable embryos, two that were transferred, which became my twins, uh, who were born in 2012, and then um, one frozen embryo. So you'll hear Gina's story in a bit, but um, our stories as donors are quite different just because I only had one embryo frozen and Gina had quite a bit more. So what happens um, when you have a frozen embryo is every year you get a storage bill and you are told your options. Of course, at first, I was just quite busy raising newborn twins and then toddler twins. And, you know, it's kind of in the back of our heads in terms of, you know, what are we going to do? What decision will we make? Will we, you know, try for another child on our own? Will we donate to science, which was uh, really where my husband was leaning, Mm -hmm. um, which brings up a point that a lot of couples don't necessarily agree, especially in the beginning, in terms of what they want to do with their remaining embryos. Can I ask this? When you went through IVF initially, didn't they make you make that decision on like the consent forms? Um, I have zero recollection. <laughs> I have heard they do. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's why at Empower, we are so focused on education and early education because I have no recollection of making a decision. Um, and when I would get my storage bill, it's the clinic didn't inform me like, oh, this is the box you checked. I just, I, I don't know. And so... Yeah, we may have said something and I couldn't remember. So it felt like a brand new conversation that we were having, you know, four years later. And that's another point to make is that, you know, we weren't active um, patients at our clinic any longer. We had graduated and were off and raising, you know, twins and we weren't connected with the clinic. So it really is sort of this revisiting of this sort of past experience. And for some people, you know, a a traumatic experience um, to kind of even start to think about going through, you know, another transfer or more hormones or shots or things like that. Um, So So did you make a decision? Yeah. um, I think, I think because, so my husband was uh, open to donation, even though he preferred um, donating to research. And I think in the end, just because I had been through so much, you know, with IVF and just with the procedures and also being, you know, a stay-at-home mother to the twins, I think it sort of in the end just sort of let me decide, which I really appreciated. And of course, I didn't decide without him being on the same page. But what we decided is to donate. And my clinic at the time was only offering um, non-directed donations or quote unquote anonymous. We have to put quotes around it now because it really doesn't exist. And I knew that that wasn't for me. I knew that if I donated my one embryo, I would want to have a say in the family that it went to. And I would want to know if there was a pregnancy and a birth. And I would want our children to know each other in some way. I didn't have the relationship defined. I didn't think, you know, I want to see them 
once a month or once a year. It was just that I knew I wanted what I felt like was in the best interest of the children. And that was to be open. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's what I did. Um, I, so how did you find uh, yeah. your recipient? So because my clinic didn't do matching, um, other than anonymous matching, they gave me a couple websites to go to. I ended up on Miracles Waiting, um, and I posted a bio of my husband and I, and we got a good amount of interest. Uh, I will note that we only had one embryo, and um, some you know, matching sites wouldn't have even accepted us with only right. one. So that's just, it's, it's an interesting thing to think, you know, had I not found, had I been turned down, you know, how would this end up differently? Mm, but, right. um, and, and there was plenty of interest too. you know, some people that only have one frozen embryo think how you know, nobody will want just one. They'll want a better chance. And of course I get that from the other side as well, but um, I got some interest and I ended up donating to a single mom by choice who lives across the country from us. I live in Portland, Oregon. She is in New York City, but she has um, she had tie, has ties in Oregon. She grew up in Oregon. Her parents live here in Portland. Her brother and her nephews live here. So it was this really cool combination of knowing that there would be future visits, you know, yeah. to this state and kind of at the same time having some comfortable distance because that felt good to me. Yeah. And as the attorney, I have to ask, did you guys enter into a contract? Okay. So <laughs> I am a good example of what not to do. No. Um, so yes, we did, but we, it, we did, we had one attorney though. And I know, it, so I, I know, see, so I basically, Empower is what I needed when I was going through this process Um, because I didn't have the education and my clinic just required, you know, they did require a contract, um, Mm -hmm. but we both used the same attorney and signed off on it. um, And that's how I did it. But of course, you know, at at Empower, we um, educate people to each have their own attorney um, because just makes someone has to employ the attorneys. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes. So we did, we did all of the requirements through, um, my fertility clinic and she ended up flying out, um, to Portland for the transfer. So we did have, we did have the legal contract. We both, um, met with a psychologist. We kind of went through all the protocol, um, mm-hmm. but sort of arranged it on our own. Um, and I I won't talk too much longer about my story, but what I want to say is that through this entire process, matching, um, you know, finding out she was pregnant, finding out that it was a boy, um, him being born, I felt extremely alone. Uh, Mm. I didn't know anybody else going through embryo donation, um, I was seeing a therapist at the time and she was wonderful. And I talked with her about it and I asked her, you know, cause she was dialed into the fertility um, space. And I said, do you, can you like reach out? And she said, Oh, I'll put it on a listserv. I don't know what that was, but I couldn't really find anybody. So um, mm-hmm. after going through that process, I started embryo donation support, uh, which is a website and community for embryo donors um, to tell their stories, to talk. I started running support groups um, for 
potential donors and donors. And then that's how I met um, Maya and Gina and we created Empower, which is, I was very donor focused before Empower um, because that's all I knew. But I'm so thankful that, you know, meeting Maya and hearing her story and hearing the recipient side or the intended parent side uh, has really rounded out, you know, my experience and education. So, that's sort of how, well, we came together in an odd way, but that's our passion now is really the full spectrum of education, including the welfare of the children, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah. Later. And I was curious, yeah. I mean, we're probably not at the stage where they're adult. I mean, their don- uh, embryo donation is so much newer, but mm-hmm. it seems like you'd want to have like an embryo donated, conceived person involved too, mm-hmm. right? But they're all so young at this point. Yeah, we we did do um, a blog piece on our website that is now wrapped into our new website's education platform on some, I would say, young adults late. So the, the, it, I think she was 16, the one who was embryo, the donated, and then um, her her genetic siblings were all in their young 20s, late teens. So we did find them and hear their story and they found each other later in life and then met. So we did meet them. And yeah, it is though, it's it's still still quite new and there's not a lot of adults that can share their experience at this point. Yeah. Gina, do you want to tell your your journey? Sure. There's so much to just jump in and talk about. So I apologize. <laughs> We're gonna have to tell one more story. Before Please. We do that. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm Gina. And um, I had been a genetic counselor. I, I had gone directly from college knowing I wanted to be a genetic counselor in infertility. So just ironically that I found this field was just so fascinating. And Um, just really dug in. Um, So I worked as a medical assistant at a fertility practice before I went to grad school and then went to grad school, then landed my first job right out of grad school at um, one of the best places to learn, um, UCSF. There there is a a very big and well-established and well-respected IVF practice there and fellowship. And so I got to like learn with some of the best minds in reproductive medicine and I just jumped right into that experience. I was their first, I mean, that's not true. There had been a few other genetic counselors that had worked in more um, in more um, kind of specific ways before I came there, but it was like, it was a really a new job and I got to, I got to shape it in a lot of ways when I got to it. So that's exciting. yeah, it was great. And it was like my dream job. It was just so wonderful. And I learned so much. And never really considered that I was going to have a fertility experience myself, but just kind of was like, just, you know, just really, just really loved everything about where I was working. Well, fast forward a few years and um, my husband and I started trying to have children and we had been together forever. I, I met him when I was 17. So, I mean, we, we, we had a long history already together, did but you, did you go to prom together? No, I actually met him in college. I went to college a little early. Um, but no, he's a he was a met him in chemistry lab. It's very uh, romantic. <laughs> anyway, oh, it's just like Twilight. Yeah, <laughs> exactly like Twilight. <laughs> um, so and it's um, hard to conceive with a vampire. So yes, you know, different direction for this podcast. So go back to your story. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, we, but anyway, we had um, been together for a long time and never really thought about our fertility potentials. Like both of our children, both of our parents got pregnant. I mean, both of our 
families, but other parents, um, sets of fam parents got pregnant when they were like 17, 18 years old. So we just were raised in very young, very young households, not with a lot of fertility issues and things. Um, and so it was like, oh, wow, this is going to be me. And I'm going to have the same experience as my patients. And it just took me a long time to wrap my head around it at first. We just tried naturally for quite a long time to the point that like the doctors around me were like, are you sure you don't want some kind of evaluation or something? Like, uh, you know where you work, right? <laughs> and um, Well, and that's kind of awkward too, to see <laughs> the professionals you're working with on this, right? Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's more awkward for the professionals to see uh, the Uh, other side of Gina. Seriously. (laughs) Seriously. That is exactly it. I have some stories. But anyway, um, but ultimately, I was just really like thinking this is in my head. It took me a long time to even believe that this wasn't just in my head. Um, because I was like, oh, I'm just like drinking the water around here. Just thinking this is like, just, just really, I had to just even you know, like, I guess this is really a thing. We're really going through fertility like stuff. So anyway, eventually I started, um, considering fertility treatment and I'm now I'm trying to remember like which event led to which, um, very first thing. Okay. Uh, anyway, I, I don't need to tell you guys my whole fertility story, but mm-hmm. anyway, it's there. If you guys ever want just to the questions. awkward parts, please. Yeah. Well, the first thing was that my, one of my friends, an RE did an ultrasound and was like, she did, she did an ultrasound and was like, looked at it and she's a very, very smart, intelligent woman. She's like, Oh my, let me go get Dr. Cedars. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Oh my God, you've seen everything. So I remember that piece that I was like, but it was ultimately, she didn't know how to broach the fact that there was some serious, um, uh, dermoid cysts going on in my ovaries. She thought they were dermoids, but there could have been something else. And so, um, anyway, long story short, we had some set, we had some surgeries and then we went through all sorts of things, went through IUIs, didn't get pregnant. And then eventually we, I got, I sat down looking at the data and I'm like, I've been to so many case conferences where they just, where we talk about how this after your third IUI, I mean, really they've, they've got, they've gotten the people pregnant that are likely to get pregnant with IUI. It's just time to really consider moving to IVF. And to me that to consider moving to IVF became very absolute must go to IVF now. And even though I was really young, I was 32 and I didn't, I probably could have had a few more cycles in me, to be honest, like going through the whole, I, I, I think there, I think in retrospect, my, maybe I didn't, I maybe went a little quickly into IVF. Um, that said, we, um, my, when, when we actually got there, we, I stimulated really well. And I think I was coming off of a couple of years of seeing some cases that were really challenging where people sometimes would make a lot of eggs and that did not always mean they made a lot of embryos. They, Mm -hmm. that didn't always mean that they ended up with a good outcome. And, um, it was during the recession and I was really worried about finances and, you know, we were in this too big of house and it was just like this, all these things. And I decided that it was a gamble but I was like, we have a lot of eggs and either we fertilize them all or what happens if they have a fertilization failure. And then we just spent all of our money on this and we're never going to have children. And I just really got into this place of this dark place. So we decided, even though I was stimulating really well, and I knew I potentially could just not, not fertilize all of them. Uh, we decided to, and there wasn't an egg freezing. It wasn't really a can thing. Can I ask, is, that, is that typical or no? Like what's the norm now that people only fertilize so many or they do no it's very all? typical I think okay. my doctors I, I think it's very typical for people just to fertilize them all and not to yeah. give it much thought to be yeah. honest um 
But I, I the, mean, they the all, goal they, on the front end is always to make as many embryos, right? That's what it always yeah. feels like. But I think that goes back to just trying to educate through empower that you do have choices. If the disposition, if, if having remaining embryos might be really stressful on the back end, right? Like you do actually have choices or you can talk to your doctor about the choices you have, but um, right. most people just go ahead and, and fertilize. Yeah. And I don't think I was doing anything unusual at all in that, but I think that I did have that moment where, because I, I'm very aware of all the issues and things that my doctor, who's, you know, a wonderful person was like, so do you, what do you think you're going to do? And, and I, it was just at least a, a conversation. She had it with me. She definitely had it with me. And I am so grateful that she did. But I, I think when I was in that posi- position, it was just very easy to just to say, I'll deal with that problem. If that becomes a problem, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm going to deal with the one I've got right now. Yeah. Um, in, in my mind, I think. And, um, so I did, I mean, in, in retrospect, though, if technology had been where it is at now, maybe I would have looked at my cycle and said, I need to should free some eggs um, just in, in, instead of fertilizing all of them, because it does make a, a complicated decision, sometimes more complicated um, if they're embryos versus eggs. I mean, not everybody feels that way, but some people do. And um, for me, you know, it weighed on me. It weighed on me once then what, what happened after that was, um, we made a lot of embryos. We did not have a fertilization problem. Um, it, we made a lot of embryos. And so we ended up with a total of 18 embryos. Um, and then we sat on that for a while because we ended up, my husband was laid off from his position and we ended up waiting a little while for our first transfer, but our first transfer resulted in our son, Max. And, um, so it was, you know, once they transferred an embryo, that was it. <laughs> it was, it was good. And um, then I ended up, you know, having raising him and, you know, have, you know, once he was born, um, like kind of jumping into the motherhood role, it just mm. really, those, those other embryos weighed on me for a long mm. time. And even, even after we started, um, you know, we, we, you know, got really into parenthood and we were, you know, comfortable with where we were. Um, we suddenly found ourselves pregnant naturally, and that was a surprise, huge surprise, but we found ourselves pregnant naturally. And I remember like immediately saying, oh my gosh, but the embryos, like, I just was like that now we're not going to have a fertility issue. We have 17 embryos in the freezer. What are we going to do? And it was just like, to me, I thought once they, once I was out of the, um, the place of being the patient trying to win the lottery suddenly just the weight of like what are those what are yeah. I mean and I were I'm a genetic counselor I'm not I talk about this stuff all the time but it's just philosophically it shifts something in you when you suddenly become a parent this way and I just didn't know what I thought anymore and I was raised Catholic but I don't I don't practice I'm not religious anymore um but I it's like I couldn't like let go of these feelings of like I don't exactly know what this is but I need it reserves my it deserves my time when I'm making a decision complicated Mm -hmm. so anyway long story short we miscarried that pregnancy um unfortunately but it did put me in this position of really knowing that I did not want to get pregnant naturally again I wanted to go and transfer one of my embryos once I could Mm. and so we ended up transferring the second embryo and that became my daughter um, and so we have two kids, um, a boy and a girl, um, they're three and a half years apart and we just, I mean, they're fantastic and, but they're a lot. And I think once I had them, I realized how much energy they were going to take out of me to be the kind of mom I wanted to be. 
And I suddenly just started really, really thinking about these embryos in the freezer. What are we going to do with them? And it, it, to me, it was like, we are as, we are as, as busy as we can be and giving our kids, you know, the best of us. And we need to make a decision about the other embryos because Mm. I was done with having children at that point. Like I felt really like this is my bandwidth. And so then we had to go into decision-making and I mean, I could tell you a little bit about that, um, but we ended up deciding to donate. And the first donation was to, um, it turns out like we actually made a profile. We did all this stuff. We found somebody They were great. We were super excited about it. And then I reached out to my family because I'm a genetic counselor working in infertility. I'm going to give this, if there's going to be a child down the line, I'm going to give them the very best medical history they can possibly get. And so I reached out to my very large family and asked for any updates on health. And one person got back to me, and several people got back to me, a lot of people got back to me, but one person got back to me, my uncle, and said, gave me a little bit of his medical history and in a Facebook message and also said, by the way, uh, do you have extra embryos <laughs> or something to that effect? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. And it planted the seed. And it turns out he and his wife, um, he had, was remarried. Um, they, had, they both had children from their first marriages, but they were thinking about trying again or they had been, they'd been trying and, um, and they were in this place where they had kind of came up against, well, the only real option right now for us is embryo donation, but where are we going to find embryos? And then suddenly he gets this message from his niece (laughs) that she's donating embryos and Hey, can you give me your medical history? So, um, it kind of all happened, but they ended up becoming, um, they became recipients as well. And they, we donated um, half the embryos to them. And they ended up transferring one and now they have a three and a half little, three and a half year old little girl. And I mean, it gets so complicated, especially with so many. Did they re-donate remaining ones? We're still in the process of that. Um, they're done now and we're kind of in this place of like trying to figure out what to do next. Um, we're probably going to be on moxie matching at some point in the future. Uh, not yet. I'm not uh, ready for that right this minute, but yeah. we have remaining embryos. Um, our second, our other donation, like it's so, it's such a long and complicated process because I've actually had several potential recipients. The first one actually ended up having a baby another way. I think timing was an issue. The second one, um, and we've had many, we've had several matches that didn't go through for one reason or another. Um, and that is the, the game. I mean, it's not game, but it feels like a dating game in some way. Like you're just yeah. trying to find the right match. And, um, well, so and you're kind of, tied to, for life in this like really meaningful way. Right. Or meaningful yeah. to some people. Yeah. And there's, and it's complicated because there's emotions that go into it. And now that I know what I want, um, in terms of a relationship, like I, I mean, I, at the beginning, I was really like, just really open. Like I want to be, I want to be there if you need me, but I don't want to be intrusive and all this stuff. And, and over time I've gotten more comfortable with the idea that it's just not that big of a deal. And like they can make, you know, they're happy to make space for me in their Mm -hmm. lives. Um, one second, my son just opened up my door. Can you close it? Um, so, um, in any case, it, um, I think that I learned that people are sometimes open to it and having a relationship just emerge organically became something that really interested me. And so now I, I really only want known because I've experienced the best of what known can be. Yeah. And so tell me how you guys came together and what your vision is or has become and what you're, what you guys are doing. 
and we're all silent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, on yourselves. No, I mean, maybe I can be brief. I mean, there are obviously longer stories, but, you know, we, we basically all met and came together. And I think there was a time when Gina was sort of stalking Jen online, <laughs> right? Because Jen had this embryo donation support community that yes. she was building and doing support groups and stuff. And um, and then she was I was the some- only one talking. I just wanted to interject that she was yeah. the only one really talking about all the emotions that went into this that I could find. And I was in very in all the professional spaces, but it was Jen that really gave voice to like these vulnerabilities and the things you're thinking about. And it was like I was glued to everything she had written or you know spoken. She did some several speaking events, and yeah, I was basically stalking her and trying to figure out how to get into her support group. And so they connected first and then I was kind of wrapped in, in, in some way. And we came together and met, um, just before the, there's a grant that the health and human services department gives out, which I know you know about Ellen. Yeah. Um, yeah, for embryo donation, it's, it's called embryo adoption. We can get into why the word adoption is problematic, but you do know, you, I mean, do you want to share that for a second for listeners who might not be familiar? Um, Kind of. (laughs) It's complicated. Yeah. I mean, you know, you basically an embryo is considered proper. You're the lawyer. You should give the background. But (laughs) right. Correct me if I'm wrong in any way. Okay. okay. um, Here, I'll give I'll give my 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 brief version. So um, one of the reasons why people are so sensitive to adoption versus donation is that adoption has this traditional, um, very strict legal construct where the government or the state is very involved. There's home studies. There's very clear legal protections and legal process to go through versus donation. So this is the legal side. I think there's other reasons that are you know compelling as well. But the legal side is like adoption's really meaningful in the law of what all that entails. While embryo, when we talk embryo adoption, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about this legal process of, you know, being able to change your mind within a certain period and home studies, et cetera. Um, so it really looks more like donation. And that's that's the legal version. I don't know if there's other sides to it, I can imagine. Yeah. And I think, you know, when a lot of this, a lot of what people have to go through um, is the idea of conceptualization, right? How do you conceptualize these embryos? How do you conceptualize your family through embryo donation and extended families and all that stuff? Um, but I think historically embryo donation got really wrapped up in kind of like the pro-life and even religious aspects of, of things. And, um, we are really not that. And part of what ended up happening, I think historically is that a lot of, it, it wasn't very inclusive to different populations who were interested in donating their embryos or in um, receiving embryos. And it did take on an adoption model in some places where they do home studies. And, um, you know, we really follow more of the ASRM guidelines around things like this. And the guidelines really state that treating it as an adoption, first of all, an embryo is considered property is, you know, some may think that's terrible. It's, it's got special status as a potential, but it, it's, it's not considered a, a life yet. Right. And so, um, you can't quite adopt oh, that. And the property, oh, well, we don't need to go the property idea. I, so I will say I was just at a conference and there was a speaker and he was like, human tissue is never property period. Don't even put 
eggs or sperm or embryos in your estate plan or will. And the attorneys all like in the audience, like gasp, like, oh, what are you telling people? So there is, um, there's, there's a lot of gray on like yeah. the special characteristics of property. Right. Bonds. And it's, and like, again, it's, it's complicated. Um, but I guess we can just say that we really ground ourselves in donation language and conceptualizing um, sharing genetics in this way where full genetic siblings are raised in different homes and really trying to consider the best interests of everybody involved, especially the children. And, you know, part of what our mission has always been is to be really inclusive um, towards anybody who wants to pursue parenthood and also really educating people on what their options are when you have remaining embryos. Um, I think there are over, you know, a million embryos right now in storage around this country. And this idea of the disposition dilemma and what do you do after the fact is really real for a lot of people. And for some people, it's not. And it just, okay, we've got what we came for and we're done. And, you know, people can discard and that's not an issue. And, you know, that's probably a relief in a lot of ways for some people. But for other people, it really is, and I know this was the case for Jen and Gina, it was really kind of conceptualizing the potential of the embryo and their own processes and journey and how hard you work to like make these embryos and other people like myself who've tried kind of everything and, you know, are, are really looking to build a family. And so, you know, I, I think that's um, a big part of what we're, we're trying to do is to offer some some alternatives in this idea of like non-biased education and kind of grounded in the current legal um, definitions of things and mm -hmm. also leaving a lot of space for people to talk about how it feels, right? It's like for, for me, it's a, I have a child who's not genetically related to myself or my husband. So there are some similarities with in a, a family through adoption, but I mm -hmm. don't ever conceptualize her as adopted. So, yeah. uh, whereas some other people might who kind of engage in this differently. So, you know, I, I think it's, um, there's, there's personal choice, but I think a lot of it is people just don't know also how to think about these things. We don't have the language yet. We don't have clear ways to, um, to talk about things. So that's another thing that we're really working on to, to support people through. I mean, and that's so true. I hear kind of the differences of language um, so often where one word might be really natural and normal to someone, someone, another, another person might find it very offensive. Um, I'll say even like oh, bio parent, bio dad, diddling, some of those where it's just like uh, some people are okay and other people don't really don't like them. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing is that we're really trying to better understand it and, and make space for people to come to their own understanding. Because this is, this is their, these are every, it's the people that are involved. It's all their life and it's how they identify themselves and how they, um, how they envision their family and what does family mean to them and to other people. And I think it's just this shared understanding. We're never going to get down to a perfect answer for these things because these are new family forms that we're sort of pioneering. Um, but just being open to hearing different experiences within that and respectfully hearing other people's positions and, and thoughts and, and, and just listening to how that, how words um, feel to different people from different perspectives. That's really important to us yeah. at Empower. And I think that's what we want to do is just really create the community where we can talk about these things and, you know, just learn from each other. 
and at the same time create sort of best practices right like so you know there we're we're involved in a research study right now that is about language and talking to kids and how do people conceptualize and you know and we're very active in different professional groups and we have a whole professional sector of empower we we're creating you know a professional community empowered professional community so that we can have these conversations with professionals that support patients and um, really try to help support people on these very very unique and specific journeys yeah uh do you want to talk a little about how moxie works is it is it match.com for embryos or something else uh, I can take that. Um, so with our new, so we just launched our uh, brand new website and, and this new name Empower with Moxie. And we talk about like, you know, what is Moxie and why Moxie? And on one hand, we say, you know, because it takes a lot of Moxie to uh, really dive into the path or journey of embryo donation. Um, and on top of that, we also have Moxie matching. So our basically we've launched two different platforms. Um, one is an education platform and one is a community platform. And even though they're separate, they work in conjunction with each other because we are, as um, Maya said in the beginning, really primarily an education company. So what makes our community unique that we hope and within the community is Moxie Matching is that people are coming together and they're educated as they're coming together. So if I decide to match on our matching platform as a donor, I can know that recipients, intended parents I'm reaching out to have received the same education that I have. And we're hoping that that leads to a more um, seamless process when it comes to, you know, the matching, the logistics, the potential emotions and things like that. Um, in terms of how it works, uh, it is kind of uh, like online dating um, in a way. We Our platform is very open and uh, authentic. You, We list um, a bunch of suggested um, areas uh, for people to share in their bio, but it's you can pick and choose what you want to share. We um, suggest questions to ask. We Maya wrote this cool article, um, "How to Date Your Donor or Recipient," right, Maya? That we link people to. <laughs> nice. um, but yeah, it's it's a very organic, authentic, uh, conversation forward way to match with a huge emphasis on education and support along the way. And we have like a profile template so people can, you know, make a a profile and things like that, but then it's messaging and it's getting to know people. And a lot of people do match on Facebook. So, you know, it's, I think people are in a way used to um, connecting in this way, but Mm -hmm. Moxie matching is a kind of a more of a protected space with, with these, extra supports and tools and tips and education and how to think about your deal breakers and really normalizes the process. And I think that's what Gina was really talking about, that it was a bit of a pro and Jen went through a process too, right? It's like, you're reaching out, you're talking to people and you're going this, I really like these, this person, but I don't know if it's a fit. And that goes on both sides. And 
um, you know, Gina has had to work through different matches that didn't work out and things like that. And so I think that is, that's a normal part of it. Um, but that leads me to wonder how long do people talk to each other before they, I mean, obviously there's a point where you could talk to somebody for two seconds and be like, yeah, no, this isn't going to work. But for those where it does work on average, how long do people talk to each other and kind of determine a relationship? I'm, I'm fascinated by what makes you decide is the moment to click forward. That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, I don't think we know yet. Yeah. No, I, I think it's different. Sure. But yeah, I, go ahead, Jen. I'll play. I was just going to say, getting back to me being a type B lady, I really went on feeling. It's, um, it, it, I just knew, like when I read the profile of my now recipient and, and, um, mother to this beautiful boy, I just knew like, and so that might work for me for somebody else. They might have a list of deal breakers. I want, you know, the genetic parents to have this education. I want them, you know, like they're, it's just so different. There's a huge spectrum of how people choose one another and the questions they ask and what their deal breakers are. So for me, I made a decision, I think, I think everything was like six weeks and it was all done and she was paying for the storage. Um, so it, it, I would say it just really depends. Whereas other people, they just want to get, you know, their toes wet and kind of look around and, you know, and, and some people, they never, they just continue to, to pay for storage because they can't ever decide or decide what are, what, what questions do I ask? Is my family really complete? What does that mean? Um, how do I get over my fears of donation? There's just so many things that go into the um, deciding to donate and the matching process. Um, it's just hard to to say. Yeah, I've been I've been um, on like facebook groups and things for several years now um, since i started thinking about this and i would say it's just so across the board some people like just find it immediately and know exactly how to go into this space and what they're looking for and then other people just i think i'm the second kind of person i just like to i like to think and think and think and think about all the different things and then and then just see what's what what kind of what kind of salute what kind of um matches i could make and then then talk to my husband about them and talk to my friends about them and talk to like through all the issues and then eventually make a decision one way or another. Um, I think that that's, that's the thing is I didn't have any, I was looking for some support. Nobody had any experience with what this might feel like. And so Jen was the only one talking about it at the time. And I suddenly, I suddenly was like, this is such a, a, a deep area where people just don't necessarily even know themselves enough to make these kinds of, um, you know, to land on the decision, let alone how to execute it. And so what we've learned through the process is just that we needed support, we needed community, we needed other people that were in this space and thinking about the same things and asking themselves tough questions, just to process those together and, and find solutions that really work and that they can, that they can live the rest of their lives with. 
Um, so for me, when I ended up matching it, it always was a fast decision once we started talking to somebody, but I think it's the execution that sometimes does get for, for me, because we had, we had many embryos and just the details of, of all of that and how that exchange happens. It was, it was a little bit, once we get into the logistics, it becomes a whole conversation about, well, how do you want to do this? And what are going to be the, the disposition options? Should you, you know, should they be done with their family and all that kind of thing really starts to creep up. And then it just this multi-layered question of how do you go about matching? Yeah. I, sorry, go ahead. Um, I just had some questions about um, so many sensitive issues when it comes to gamete embryo donation relationships and um, some things that are normal. Other people think are less accepted are all, um, donations on your platform known where everyone's identity is known to each other? As it, Sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, Gina. No, go. I was going to say, as, it, as it's currently envisioned right now, this, this version that's out right now is yes. They have a consensual way to communicate. Whether or not they put their real names yeah. in the space, they are commu communicating with each other. So we don't have an agency option of like, we'll match you. They People have to come in and, and talk and make their connections their own way. Now we envision a future where despite, you know, this, despite this being the way that we're, we, we're, we're starting out that we may um, allow for people that with informed consent, they decide they still want to donate in a different way. We may um, eventually open up a different option, but we, we think that the platform is always going to, um, you know, kind of lean towards, let's have these conversations now and work out our potential issue. I mean, potential uh, relationship now uh, because the children's needs are going to come into play and they might have very different decisions and different um, needs. And how do we make, how do we set ourselves up for success so that we have all of our options in front of us as, as families, you know, because we're multiple families coming together in some way, they will intersect with each other down the line probably. And can we make that process easier and better and more functioning for everybody, you know, from the beginning? We think so. Yeah. And, Something I faced or heard, I, do you, I mean, do you even hear this of opposition to embryo donation period, or does anyone ever tell you like, oh, I don't believe in that, or how do you, how do you approach that? I do think that embryo donation has a reputation of being messy, um, and which Gina just completely validated. <laughs> I know we like to say it can be messy, but it doesn't have to be. But mm -hmm. it it is, you know, and, and even you know just what Gina was talking life about is, with right? life is, and and even with all of this education and support, things can go wrong. The match doesn't always work out, but there's still you know, support to be had after that. And and that's why we're really like this full spectrum of the journey. Not, we're not just matching. We're everything after the match too. Cause really sometimes like a whole new journey starts at the match. So um, I, you know, I, th I think it has a reputation of being messy. Um, you know, I think, yes, there are comments that I'm sure, you know, some people don't, believe in it or think it's a bad idea. It also, as Maya mentioned earlier, has been wrapped up in sort of the pro-life um, campaign and things like that. Um, but what I always say is, you know, it can be a beautiful way to create a family. It 
it's not for everyone. It's not all joy and rainbows. It can be difficult. It can, you know, you can experience a huge range of emotions on both ends of the spectrum, but it can also just be a really beautiful way to create a family. And I, I think that every time I see my recipient's son, so, you know, so anyway, if if you if you don't like yeah. it, basically don't talk no, to I, me. But I do get that. It's I mean, messy. I feel like that, right? That's well, the answer. Like, look at look at these beautiful people, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean of... my you know my my child wouldn't be here, and she's like the best in the whole world. But I think, <laughs> per me, um, but I th- I think part of this too, and why maybe people sometimes feel differently about embryo donation than other gamete you know, egg or sperm donation is because you have full genetic siblings that are raised in different homes with different parents. And if that's facilitated in a strictly anonymous quote unquote or unknown way, and, you know, let's say all of Gina's embryos were in one small town and those were distributed among 16, you know, different recipients and you have 16, well, then she's really like, you know, hitting home runs with their embryos, but, but, but you know what I'm saying? Then you have a lot of full siblings who don't know about each other potentially. So that's, that is, that can be problematic. And I think we've had such changes in genetics and the genetic landscape um, and just in, in technology, right. Over the past five, 10 years um, with 23andMe and, and Ancestry.com, these different um, ways to test for genetics and, and things like that, that people are understanding this more and understanding the importance of talking to your kids and being honest and disclosing their genetic histories and their their genetic roots, essentially. And um, for us, I think it's really important to talk to people and educate people on about that and about the benefits of being open and the benefits of knowing where your embryos go and, and vice versa, knowing your donors. And, um, and, I, and I think we're creating a, a space for that to be normal and to um, be understood better, if that makes sense. Yeah. Am I just saying words at this point? I mean, it's just like <laughs> they're good words. Um, I, I thank you guys so much for each sharing your stories and sharing all this amazing work that you're doing. Um, for those who want to dig deeper, learn more about the complexities and the richness of embryo donation, or who may be personally affected or thinking about it, where can they learn more? They can learn more by going to our brand new website. It's empowerwithmoxie.com. We are also on all the social media channels with that same name, at empowerwithmoxie. And And it's moxie with an I, no E at the end. Oh, yes, I should. Yes, great. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, M-O-X-I. Um, and, and, and our website is really the hub. So you'll see there that we have our education community and support sort of separated out and that will branch you off to the platforms we were discussing, but yeah, our website is a great place to start. Excellent. Well, Maya, Gina, Jen, thank you all for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Jen, Maya, Gina. Don't forget to go back and listen to Maya's episode from earlier. One more shot. So good. Also watch the documentary and check out Moxie. Uh, We appreciate all they're doing to bring this resource and education out.
Yes, absolutely. And they're just the nicest human beings, right? (laughs) So you should just support them for being nice human beings too. Um, And you know what would make you a nice human being, dear listeners? Uh, Oh, I thought you were saying me. What do I need to do to be a nice human being? No, you're already a nice human being too. You're you're good. You you, you got it. But everybody else needs a nice human being karma points. If you're not yet, you can. You can go to iTunes and leave us a review or even just click on the stars and let people know how you feel about us. Mm. You don't have to give us five stars if you don't love us, but we would love love the feels from, from anybody who is willing to go do so. So uh, thank you to those who do, and we still love you even if you don't. It's okay. But um, thank you to our team. I'm going to get it right this time to... Tyler, to Melissa, to Amanda, and to Janelle. We appreciate all of you for everything you do. And thank you for all of you who listen. We appreciate you too. So we'll talk to you next week.